0: Welcome to our Bible study today, our midweek Bible study. I'm Ken Baer, a pastor at Celebrate Seniors, one a ministry of Faith Dialogue here in Celebration, Florida. Uh, today we'll be looking at the parable of the fig tree. Uh, this one was told by Jesus at the, at the end of his ministry in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. Uh, what's interesting I find about the Olivet discourse it's actually a prophecy from beginning to end in chapter twenty four and it's also referenced in mark 13 and Luke 21 the three synoptic Gospels uh, Jesus gives a prophecy and the prophecy is about his his return his second coming uh, it has to do with what we know as the the end of days the the tribulation period maybe Armageddon if that Sounds scary. Uh, Don't let it scare you. Uh, This entire uh, chapter, 24, like I said, is is primarily a a prophecy. In order to understand the context uh, of this parable and begin to understand the context of the entire Olivet Discourse, I, I think it's important to take a look at the very beginning of chapter 24 uh, in the book of of Matthew. I I want you to fully understand the context before we we dive into this parable of the fig tree. Let me begin reading at, at verse one. We'll just read a few verses. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So these, these first three verses give us the setting and the context. Uh, You may have missed it, but Jesus and his disciples actually moved from verse 1 to verse 3. They moved about a half a mile. In verse 1, Jesus is at the uh, the temple in Jerusalem proper. The disciples point out the temple and the buildings uh, to Jesus. In the 21st chapter of Luke, uh, which is the companion chapter meaning that it's the same event that's happening it's just told from a different author so a slightly different perspective uh, we see that the disciples call jesus attention uh, to the temple uh, how how well it is adorned and how beautiful the stones and the the decorations are jesus then speaks of the uh, the destruction of the temple uh, this destruction happened in 70 A.D. just as Jesus had foretold. In verse 2, Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left standing upon another that shall not be thrown down. The very next verse, verse 3, Jesus is sitting at the Mount of Olives. Uh, this is where we get the name of this piece of scripture, the Olivet Discourse. But Jesus had moved with, along with his disciples from the temple proper out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is located outside of the walls of Jerusalem. It's about a half a mile, um, about a Sabbath day walk, as the Pharisees would say. Um, and it's later the same day. It probably took them a few hours to get there. They're not walking directly. They're probably talking to the crowds, talking to each other. Um, But at the Mount of Olives, the disciples asked Jesus three questions. They say this. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, the disciples ask with a very direct question, when will these things be? Remember, Jesus had just told them, when they pointed out the temple and how magnificent it was, that Jesus says that it's all going to be destroyed. Well, that's cataclysmic to to these disciples, and they want to know when, when it would happen. And, And Jesus will speak to this question first, and then he'll answer the other questions. The disciples also said, what would be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Those two questions. Now the disciples likely believed that they had asked one big question. Um, In their minds, the destruction of the temple was shocking and almost an unbelievable event. It would be so cataclysmic that the destruction of the temple most likely would usher in the end of days. Now we have the benefit of history. That's what we have on our side. Um, And we can see that in reality, they really asked three different questions. Uh, And the focus of the fig tree, the parable that we're talking today, uh, will answer one of those two last questions or actually both of them. However, since I I mentioned that we have the benefit of history, let me spend a little bit of time, you know how much I love history, to talk a little bit about the destruction of the temple. Uh, That was the the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave first. In 63 A.D., about 28 to 30 years after Jesus uh, died on the cross, uh, the land of Judea was was plunged into uh, into chaos. Uh, there was a there was a horrible uh, civil war going on uh, between the bands of Jewish zealots aligned with uh, with just bands of bandits of people. Um, attacked Jerusalem. And they started attacking uh, Roman garrisons, uh, uh, guerrilla warfare. Anytime they could kill a Roman soldier, they did. Um, And not only that, but they also started attacking attacking regular Jewish people as well. Um, Eventually, they were able to expel the Jewish garrison from Jerusalem. And after the Jewish garrison was expelled, the zealots locked the doors of, or locked the gates of Jerusalem behind them. As would be expected, the Romans reacted with with brutality, showing no mercy as they indiscriminately killed men, women, and children throughout Judea. In April of AD 70, uh, Roman General Titus, who later would be uh, Caesar, he would be uh, Titus Caesar Vespasius, uh, besieged the city of Jerusalem. After a four-month siege, the Romans stormed the city, killing everyone, everyone that was left inside, and completely destroying the city and the temple. As the fire raged through the temple, quantities of, of silver and gold that had been stored in the treasury at the, in the temple uh, began to, to melt. And it, and it filled in all of the cracks and all of the hidden places between all of the stones of the temple. Um, the soldiers, in order to retie- retrieve the silver and the gold, literally pulled the stones apart, retrieving the silver and gold and fulfilling what Jesus had said nearly 40 years earlier, that not one stone would be left upon another. And, and see that's this is what happened this is the benefit we have of history we see prophecies that were given in the bible literally fulfilled and you know when you when, when you see it and when you see prophecies literally fulfilled in the bible in the past i mean exactly as it was prophesied and then we see all of these prophecies of the second coming it only makes sense to try to take them as literally as possible the the question was when will these things be when will the temple be torn down and, and jesus tells them when it will happen he gives them a hint i'm going to read from the gospel of luke because it's a little it's a little tighter uh, a paragraph a, a, f- a few verses and it's it's nice and tight and i think it answers that question very very well jesus said in luke 21 beginning in verse 20 but when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies know that the desolation of israel is near let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter in for these are the days of vengeance and all the things which are written may be fulfilled and woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive to all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of Gentiles is fulfilled. This prophecy of Jesus, these four verses, were so well known to the Christians that many, if not all, were able to escape in 70 a.d when titus and the roman legions came to attack jerusalem they saw the prophecy literally being fulfilled in their days jerusalem was surrounded by armies and they fled an early christian scholar eusebius wrote this he said the whole body this is the church however of the church of jerusalem having been commanded by divine revelation uh, the demand, divine revelation that he's talking about is most likely this prophecy uh, given to men of approved piety there before the war removed them from the city and dwelt in a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. Uh, and again, it's recorded history. A uh, Bible scholar, Adam Clark, also wrote, it's very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction uh, of Jerusalem. Before we move on to the other questions and our parable of the fig tree today, uh, notice the words of Jesus in this account of Luke. There are two verses about what happens after Jerusalem was seized in 70 AD. Verse 24 says, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. You know, after 70 AD, the Jews became a people without a without a country, while a few Jews remained in the area that's known as, it was known as Palestine. By the way, <laughs> that name Palestine, that was assigned to the area after the Jews were dispersed. Um, this geographical area called Palestine, when the Romans named it Palestine after the Jews had left, it was really uh, like a... Geo- geographical slap in the face. Um, after the last Jewish revolt in AD 130, previously this area known as Judah was renamed Syria-Palestine. And it was a reference to the Philistines. Uh, the Philistines were an ancient enemy of, of the Jews, and they occupied a small area along the coast, uh, the area we know as Gaza to this day. Uh, the, and, they, and like I said, it was a, a slap in the face uh, to call it Syria-Palestine. Uh, the prophecy of Jesus said that after Jerusalem was destroyed, Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And this is exactly what happened. So let's go on and see how Jesus answers the, the next two questions uh, in the remainder of the chapter. This is the, the immediate context of the parable of the fig tree uh, when we're looking at context we want to take a look at the verses immediately preceding the passage we're looking at as well as the the uh, verses immediately following the passage in order to get a real strong grasp on what the what the parable or in this case what the parable I- is talking about we want to look at the the context so these verses are part of the answer that Jesus gave to the disciples Uh, They ask two questions, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So let me begin reading at verse 29. And in my Bible it says the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 29, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of Son of Man, the Son of Man, will appear in heaven, and then all of the tribes of the Earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, verse 32, beginning in verse 32, this is the actual parable of the fig tree. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And then he continues, verse 36, he says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into therefore you also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect so that's all that's a lot of prophecy 15 verses of prophecy In this section part of the Olivet Discourse my purpose in presenting these parables to you is to reveal the the mysteries of God Jesus said that he he spoke in parables so that we would understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven my objective is to bring clarity where otherwise there may be confusion so let's talk about this parable of the fig tree Jesus said learn from the parable of the fig tree. There are actually two particular instances in the New Testament that I want to mention that Jesus spoke of a, a fig tree. If you remember there was an interesting account where Jesus cursed a fig tree because he went to find figs. It was the season but all there were were leaves. Jesus cursed the tree and the next day the the apostles that were with him remarked that the tree had shriveled up and died. Uh, the reason he did this is because again there were supposed to be fruit on the trees jesus was painting a picture that israel needed to be fruitful the the fig tree is a symbol of of, uh, of of israel and we have a completely different parable in the 13th chapter of the gospel of luke jesus told this parable he says a man had a fig tree growing in a in a vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it sounds familiar right but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years, I've been coming to look for fruit on this tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it take up room? Why should it take up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Both of these accounts as told by Jesus speak of the unfruitfulness of the people of Israel the chosen people for three years Jesus had been ministering to the people of Israel he was he was performing miracles healing the sick raising the dead but the religious leaders rejected him they were completely unfruitful Jesus even uses the three years as a reference in this parable in the Gospel of Luke The parable today of the fig tree in Matthew is a direct reference to Israel. Israel, both the people, and also Israel, the land. Jesus tells this parable between two of the most referenced prophecies in the entire New Testament. The prophecy of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus gives the exact timing of this event. At the very beginning he says immediately after the tribulation of those days very specific timing then jesus tells the parable of the fig tree and it's obvious that jesus is giving an indication of when these things may happen we all understand seasons you know there are there are four seasons we learned this when we were little right there's there's fall and winter and spring and summer four seasons um, here in Florida, the seasons often kind of run together. Uh, there's not much difference, except it's raining today. Um, in Michigan, however, you know where, our, where my kids grew up in Michigan, uh, we have it's said we have two seasons. We have winter and the uh, Fourth of July weekend. Now that's a, a joke, because actually in, in Michigan we see all four of the of the seasons, and there are signs that the next season is, is approaching. For example, in winter, and at the end of the winter and the days are, are getting a little bit longer, you can go outside and you'll see the appearance of lilies and crocuses. Uh, sometimes they will actually poke up through the snow. Both lilies and crocuses have a very early bloom time, and they're considered the first sign of spring. In the same way, jesus is is using that as an example for the fig tree when the branch becomes tender and puts forth leaves you know that summer is near jesus is not giving a lesson on horticulture he's not trying to teach you about fig trees he's speaking of the certainty the certainty of his coming just as the fig tree puts forth leaves so you know that summer is near uh, for and this this fig tree is a is a symbol of Israel. It's used many times in the Bible as, as a symbol of Israel. The fig tree putting forth leaves is a metaphor that in the last days Israel will again be in the land and begin to put forth, leaves, metaphorically. Its branches will become tender and we'll see that it's, it's alive. It had been dormant for, for many, many years, like trees are dormant during the winter. We see that trees then come alive. They come alive and, and after the spring and you know that the, the summer is near. Jesus is not alone in prophesying that, that Israel will be regathered and that all of the prophecies Uh, that the prophet spoke regarding the regathering of israel and the fulfillment of all of the promises to israel and the righteous reign of the messiah all will be fulfilled literally for example in isaiah chapter 11 isaiah prophesies he says he will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles to israel he will assemble the scattered people of judah from the four quarters of the earth Ezekiel chapter 37 says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves, O Israel, and raise you from the, raise, raise you from the graves, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. The most comparable parable uh, to this parable of the fig tree is in Jeremiah 21. Uh, Jeremiah 24, and I use it because it specifically talks about the the regathering as well as a fig tree. Jeremiah 24, beginning in verse 3, it says, And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I I said, Figs, the good figs, very good, and bad figs, very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And said thus says the lord the lord god of israel like these good figs i will regard as good the exiles of judah whom i have sent away from this place to the land of the chaldeans i will set my eyes on them for good and i will bring them back to the land i will build them up and not tear them down i will plant them and not pluck them up i will give them a heart to know that i am the lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and they shall return to me with their whole heart. You know, I want to just pause for a second and let you know that when we see Israel, we see Israel in the land, realize that it's partial fulfillment of these prophecies. We're still waiting for something. What are we waiting for? We're we're waiting for these people to turn back to God. Did you know that in the early days of Israel that many of the the, the early people, the, the people in the history books, uh, in fact, I'm going to speak of one just a minute, uh, they, were, they were atheists. Uh, they didn't even believe in God. But God used them to help the people in the land of Israel get, get organized. So we're still waiting for the people's hearts to turn to God. Jesus said very clearly that the regathering of the Jews in Israel would be a sign of his second coming, the end of the age. What's important to understand is that for hundreds of years uh, the church, through learned theologians, the scholars, they never really considered Israel to, to, be, to be, be possible, that Israel would be re- regathered into the land. They, they took this symbolically, they didn't take it literally. As a result, even the prophecies of Jesus and of Daniel and of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they weren't taken literally. They were always taken symbolically. Uh, The Jewish people were thought to have rejected the Messiah. And because the Jewish people had rejected the Messiah, the scholars taught that God had rejected Israel. But that's not true. God cannot break his promises. And after the reformation of the 16th century, when Bible scholars began to look again at the Bible and take it literally, what it said, these prophecies that the Jews would again be gathered back into Jerusalem began to be taken seriously. Before World War I, actually after World War I, British Foreign Secretary Arthur James Balford wrote a letter to Baron Rothschild. Baron Rothschild was a very wealthy, influential Jewish person, person living in London. And he expressed the British government's support for the establishment of a Jewish homeland in Palestine. This letter was published in the press and eventually became known as the Balfour Declaration, which marked the beginning of what we call the modern Zionist movement that because of, um, that, that, ultimately led the Jewish people to be regathered in, into Israel. After World War II, after the atrocities uh, uh, and the, the deaths of 6 million European Jews at the hands of the Nazis, Uh, What we thought was not possible became possible, and after nearly two millennia, we saw the rebirth of Israel. On May 14, 1948, David Ben-Gurion, the chairman of the Jewish Agency for Palestine, announced the formation of the New State of Israel. And he became the very first Prime Minister of Israel. Israel was rebirthed in a day in one day just as isaiah had prophesied who has ever heard of such a thing who has ever seen things like this can a country be born in a day or a nation bring, be brought forth in a moment yet no sooner is zion in labor than she gives birth to her children do i do i bring you to the moment of birth and not give delivery says the lord i want you to pay attention to these to these words of jesus in this parable jesus said that when you see these things When you see these things begin to happen, all these things, know that it is near. It's at the door. What things? These are the the questions that the disciples asked Jesus. What are the sign of your coming and what about the end of the age? So this is the second of the signs that Jesus mentions after the apostles ask him these questions. The first one was, remember he said, after the tribulation. We know that in reading the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation that there are seven very difficult years called the tribulation. Some people break it into two different groups, three and a half years as the great tribulation and the previous three and a half years as our tribulation. It's still seven years where God's wrath is poured out. At at the end of the tribulation, there's a prophecy of Jesus coming. And Matthew 24 speaks of it, Jesus speaks of it, but Revelation chapter 19 is often quoted as as the second coming of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a, a blazing fire, and on his heads are many diadems, many crowns. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth, this is Jesus' mouth, is a sharp sword with which to strike down his nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of his fury, of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, This is, this is just one more verse in this parable. There's actually one more verse in this parable of the fig tree. The very next verse that Jesus said, said, see all these things, know that it is near. It's at the door. Uh, We need to clarify, however, one more verse. Jesus says in verse 34, He says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. So, we, we understand that uh, Jesus paints this metaphor of, of the fig tree and the fig tree begins to bloom and, and that's the picture of Israel. Israel coming into the land and Jesus says, when you see these things, know that that, that time it's at the door, it's going to happen. And then he says, and this generation will in no way pass away until all these things are fulfilled. Well, there's, there's, <laughs> there's two issues with that verse that make it a little problematic. Don't you know that happens in prophecy? Sometimes it become a little problematic. Uh, the first one, uh, the, first, the first problem is how long is a generation? Uh, but secondly, when does the clock start ticking? How long is a generation and when does the clock start? Let's take the second part of the problem first. When does the clock start ticking? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that we see 1970, 1917 with the Balfour Declaration. Uh, Declaration. Um, and I said that intentionally because there were many people that said, this is it. This is the beginning of that generation back in 1917. Uh, the reason that we said that is because the United Kingdom, England, had conquered the Ottoman Empire that had been in charge of the, the Holy Land for 700 years. And they finally conquered it after World War I and the British Empire was occupying the land. It was called the British Mandate. And there were four waves of, of immigration that started going all the way back to, 19, to 18, actually 1881. Uh, so we saw four waves from 1881 to 1948. And the population of the Jews in the Holy Land went from a very low number, five and 6%, to about 30% just before 1948. So, so it's difficult to, start a, to fix a, a starting date. Um, it very well could be uh, 1948, and I like that. That's the, the date that, that uh, David ben gurion established the land of Israel, or the nation of in- Israel. Uh, there's also 1967. Some people like 1967 because it was in 1967 that the, the Jewish people actually entered Jerusalem and took over Jerusalem and declared it their, their capital forever. Now, the second issue is, what's a generation in the Bible? Well, some suggest 40 years, some say 100, some say 70. The 100 years is the longest time frame, and it's my favorite, personal favorite, because of the context uh, in the Bible to which the 100 years was called a generation. In the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 5, we read this. It says, as the sun was setting, Abram, that's Abraham, before he was called Abraham, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came, came over him. And the Lord said to him, know for certain that 400 years, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back. And that was a prophecy that God himself gave to Abram about the, the Jewish uh, people under Isaac, uh, the people of, uh, people of Israel, in uh, in the land of Egypt and after 400 years they came back God said to Abraham after 400 years he would deliver Israel he said that was the fourth generation so in this case in this context a generation would be a hundred years in the next few weeks I'll deal with some of the remaining parables and we'll get into a little bit of the Olivet Discourse again Um, I want to unpack the verse, for example, that follows this uh, at some time in the near future, it says, But of the day and hour, no one knows, not even by the angels of heaven, but my father All only. You know, all of the remaining parables that we'll get to um, all speak of the, of the end times. I don't want to miss the opportunity as I'm speaking about prophecy being taken literally and that Jesus is coming back. I don't want to miss the opportunity uh, to be the watchman on the wall. In Isaiah, we see that the role of a watchman was to proclaim the gospel and to announce the, the reign of God. I feel that in studying Bible prophecy, there are those of us that are, are called uh, to really dig in deep and to be able truly to wrestle with the scriptures and to understand as best we can uh, about prophecy. We, we daily read. We pray for God to enlighten us. And then when we begin to understand, it's incumbent upon us to be able to, to teach and to warn and to encourage. You know, if your house was on fire, think about it, if your house was on fire, you wouldn't just go find the, the nearest door or the nearest window and escape. You would wanna make sure that everybody that you love, everybody that you care about, everybody in your family, probably including your pets, get out safely. You would wanna warn them that there's a fire. In the same way, and as with the Word of God as my authority, I'm telling you with certainty that Jesus will return. Prior to Jesus' return, we will see signs, very visible signs of his return, that should only make us realize with every confidence that Jesus will return. The Bible is clear. And there's no other name given among men that we must be saved. Jesus Christ told us that He is the way, that He is the truth and He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. I realize that there are many people out there that are trying to tell you when Jesus will return. They're, they're, they're all over YouTube. They're all over, all over the country. Um, my goal is to, to tell you that Jesus will return to give you confidence that he will return, and then we'll talk a little bit about why he must return. Uh, regarding the when, there's plenty of signs. There's plenty of signs indicating that the time is short. We'll take a look in the next few weeks at a few other, uh, few other parables that'll give us an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the second coming of Jesus. The, we'll look at the wise and foolish virgins, the parable of the talents, and then the parable of the sheep and goats. Amen. Hey, before I pray, I would love to remind you uh, that our websites at www.faithdialogue.org as well as uh, www.celebrateseniors.us has all of our our video sermons, all of our audio podcasts. Uh, We'd love it for you to take advantage of those and and find them and grow and and share them with others as well. Um, Also, join us. Every Sunday at 11 o'clock and every Wednesday at 11 and also at 6 p.m. We'd love to be able to have you join our, our live services. Um, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your financial support. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to open up your scriptures and to be able to read about these, these parables, this parable of the fig tree. In it, we know that Jesus is coming, and we see the signs, and we give you the praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.